Hey, everybody. Two likes already. Two likes preemptively. I like it. Welcome to Theology Thursday, the show where Isaac is smart, Sam is bald, and Kevin is mocked mercilessly. <laughs> that's true. That's well, true. Welcome no, back, not, we're not. No, that's, no we're, we're changing that up. That's wrong. We believe in in the scriptural commands to respect our elders. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there it true. goes. There so it goes. no more negative talk. That's true. We need to appreciate him while he's here. Gray hairs are a clown, a clown of glory. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> oh, man. Paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. Kevin's a clown of glory. Yeah. Hey, welcome everybody. Um, we said this on the Facebook announcement, but just in case you didn't notice this, this is the last episode of this season. So we're going to be taking a break after this episode. Um, we're in seasons now. Yeah. Rather than every single week. You know, Theology Thursday is a great example. There's many things that were like this, but at the very beginning of the pandemic, which was last March, you were like, Sam, get a theology thing that we'll yeah. do weekly. And it's like everything. We're like, we'll probably do this for a few weeks and maybe a couple months. By weekly, we thought we'd be able to count it in weeks. Yeah, exactly. We like, we'll do, well, we did a reading plan and we were like, oh, the lockdown's three weeks. This book of the Bible's X number That's of right. chapters. Like, that'll be perfect. And I remember you jokingly being like, well, after that, we have to do the book of Psalms because there's 150 of those. Yeah. And even that was, was not, not remotely close. So this is, yeah, we've been at it for a long time and we just, we add, we're adding that seasonal rhythm to make it a little bit more of a thing we can sustain long-term and aren't, uh, you know, throwing all. Yeah, which is the good news is that this is yeah. remaining. Theology it's Thursday will around. stick around, but we have to make it last. And yeah. so we're doing seasons. We're going to do some breaks. So, so it, there's a special guest in the back. Oh, yeah. Show him, Kevin. It's Stan. I think Back by, you know. Did he get 20, up, 20 likes? Not what. He, he not while it was live. Okay, he got well, more then, than twenty subsequent. And you might. Hey, I'll now, uh, just stick around. I'll talk to you after this. The, <laughs> <laughs> now here's the thing. Um, this is a very good segue. I'm just gonna. It's always good to say okay. that before you do it. The only person who we threatened to fire if they didn't get twenty likes, who successfully got all twenty, was Drew Dowler. That was an impressive episode. Special guest last week. I, I wish uh, someone in the church said this, but I actually agree that I wish everyone in our church would watch that episode so they could kind of understand why we do worship the way that we do. Yeah. Now, with that said, though, because I wasn't here, uh, I feel like there's some things that, that I should say because you guys were rightfully very respectful. Um, of Drew. Of Drew. No, <laughs> and And the fact that, there's tons of worship songs out there. Some are better than others and some aren't as good. And there's obviously preference differences, but I got to say there is a host of bad worship songs out right now. Yeah. Like really bad. I, I mean, I can't even believe some of the stuff that's yeah, and, and maybe to set you up on this, there's a line between this isn't great. Yes. There's a spectrum that goes all the way from this is theologically perfect and exactly sound and mm -hmm. the reformers would love it and the Bible agrees with it perfectly. Yeah. And then there's stuff that like, oh, this isn't great, but you can sing and you don't have to feel yeah. guilty. And there's fluffy stuff. And there's fluffy stuff that's fine, but not ideal. It's and not enriching to your soul, but, theologically robust. But there's a line at which something becomes yes. incorrect to the point that it is harmful. Yeah, because so... I, by nature, am a hater, so I try not to bash too much on just like a, a fluffy worship song that isn't, it's not deep, but hey, it's not, it's not destroying the world. It's, it's number one on Stan's playlist, but yeah, okay, fine, fair <laughs> enough. But there's some songs. There's a lot of them now. I'll give you one example. 
I heard it on the radio. And again, this may be your favorite worship song. You might have connected to God through it. Um, I connect. I, I, I was moved inspirationally by the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It doesn't mean it, it's, right. it's biblically, <laughs> you know, that's not Bible. So the lyric to this song was, it's a dude singing to the Holy Spirit. And he says, come a little closer, stay a little longer. And first off, the whole, the whole song has sort of this, it's, it's got this R&B type of vibe it's that very, if you just heard it like on a... Very romantic. Yeah, if you were just here it normally, you'd be like, is he, singing, is he singing to a girl? Like, come a little closer, stay a little longer. Throw that aside because you can make an argument like, hey, well, I think the, the Song of Solomon is a parable for Christ and the church, Israel and God. Um, debatable. But <laughs> let's take that as is. That's, in the, that's coming in the next season. Song yeah. of Solomon. That's the first that actually maybe That's a good that idea. Um, but, okay, stop. Just... And this is important because some stuff is fluff, but some stuff you really need to say, no, that's not right. You're singing to the spirit of God, come a little closer, stay a little longer. What in the world do you mean by that? Let's just take the second line because that's probably the, the greater of the offenders. Stay a little longer as if the spirit, like you need to tell him, please don't leave because God really, it's like, I got to go home, man. Yeah. You know, it's getting late. And I then, can't then, you, chill and then you ask the question, is it a secondary concern that I think the spirit might leave me. Like, is that? Yeah. And, and so it's like, no, normally you're the person who wants to leave in your sinful rebellion from the presence of God. But this, and, and more importantly than that, the scripture, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what I want my people in, in our church to be, what I want worship music to do for them is to remind them of the promises of God because you doubt the promises of God on a regular right. basis. So I need the preaching, the teaching, the prayers, and the songs to remind me of the truth of God and who he is. And I know that God said he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Ephesians chapter one says, I've been sealed with the spirit, yeah. which is the promise of the inheritance of that which is to come. So I need those truths. Yeah. I don't want... It's in the Great Commission. Behold, I will be with yes. you even until the end of the I age. I don't want people during the week telling the Spirit, like, you're worrying if he's going to leave. Yeah. Because that's not the way it works. And so there's some stuff, as you said, that's fluffy. There's some stuff that's bad. But there's a lot of stuff. Be careful because it sounds good. And you might have actually had a worshipful experience with it. God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. Right. Um, <laughs> I've had that, um, that example used about, I did that on your first sermon. Yes. I said, and subsequent sermons. Yeah. I was like, man. <laughs> um, That's true. So, but we have to draw a line somewhere and we can't just always be so sort of nuanced that we don't call stuff yeah. what it is. And that, that was one example of many. And watch this. There's a growing theme of treating the Holy Spirit as if they're almost a spouse or a, that, that he's a, a friend, or even sometimes it might be a yeah. song. So it could be metaphoric, a relationship, but the spirit is like, it almost sounds as if he wants to leave and you're trying to convince yeah. it's him to all, stay. It's almost like in a romantic relationship, the kind of theme that's in a lot of movies and stuff of um, like what the, like the chase, like, oh, you want to just kind of tease them a little yeah. bit, but then yeah, don't be too weird. easy to get. And so um, that is, there is a major theme of that. And like people who are around our church offices know we're, Drew and the two of us are like scouring for songs that are good for church. And honestly, it's, there's, there's a lot of problems out there. Yeah. And so you don't want to music. Like we said last week has this really powerful ability to evoke emotion and feeling from you. Mm -hmm. And it's not always 
for the best. I mean, like just because a song moves you does not mean you ought to sing it. Um, and so, no. so you want to apply some like kind that of Limp biscuit song back in the day that said, just give me something to break. Yeah. You don't want to listen to that when you're angry because you might break something. I mean, I feel like it really ministered to me at that time. <laughs> so you I guys, mean, what, you guys I hear me. You encouragement get to, to keep rolling, 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 That's rolling. That's true. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Because, you know, it's been a tough year being down with the sickness. Yeah, got you know? it. Oh, um, wow. But in, in all seriousness, be careful because you want God's truths ringing in your head throughout the week. And stuff may sound wise or devotional, but in reality, it's not God's truth nor his promises. And there's a lot of that out there right now. So great episode, you and Drew. Thanks, man. Uh, really shaped. Um, you, you articulated why we do what we do in a great way. And I do want... I'd want our whole church to listen to it. Yeah. And if you guys, we said this last week, but we'll throw it out there again. If you have a question, if you're like, I really like the song, but I'm not sure about this line. Am I being too critical? Am I not being critical enough? Um, if you go to this church, reach out to us, send us the song and say, what's the deal with this song? If you don't go to this church, I would encourage you, um, hit up your pastor and be like, is this a song that's trustworthy? Yeah. And just don't get your feelings hurt when we might say, yeah, no, this is when we tell you the truth, we will tell you the truth. That's the this disclaimer. Is, this is, this is a <laughs> whack song. Uh, I'm glad that even through the whackness, God worked on your heart and you were drawn into a state of worship. But that doesn't mean that we should be repeating these lyrics again and again. Yeah, that's a good word. All right. So let's jump into today. This is the Q&A episode for our church series. Um, so we have a, some, a, some really good questions from you guys that we're going to cover. But before we even do that, um, we, we had some leftover stuff from our baptism episode that we said we would cover. So um, if you recall that episode, we spent a lot of time walking through the biblical imagery related to baptism. And um, we didn't end up having time to really do justice to a couple of the more technical kind of systematic questions as far as the specifically what I want to talk about before we get into the questions are the different modes of baptism, which means kind of sprinkling versus immersion and um, the kind of different streams of thought as far as believers baptism and infant baptism. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, we'll do that. And then we'll do some questions. As always, you can throw questions in the chat too. So if you have a question about either something we're talking about right now or anything from the uh, the series so far, throw them in there. Throw your questionable worship song title. Yeah. You and we'll get, we'll get back to you on if it. If you're brave, throw it in and we'll tell you live. No, I'm just kidding. But you, mm -hmm. but yeah, in the comments too, if you've got a song where you're like, I've always had the question about this. Yeah. Cause it's a, it, you know, not to revisit this when we already moved on, but it is also a danger to become so critical of everything. That's right. That you're nitpicking and you're not able to even worship God because you spend a whole worship service going, well, that's not exactically you don't, theologically yeah, You don't want to have a negative spirit about it. You want it to be a, a, a good spirit. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like when Kevin brought My Heart Will Go On as a suggestion for a worship yeah. music, I'm like, bro, this is this, this. I know you love Titanic. I but. mean, first of all, <laughs> it is a jam. That's what Isaac said. He's all, listen, this is a stone cold jam. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> But it's not suitable for corporate well, worship, that last Kevin. Hook hit, man. <laughs> Plus, Drew can't do the key change. No, Drew can't That's do the true. key change. That's true. That's true. That's his problem. Modes so, of baptism. Here we go. Modes of baptism. Should we sprinkle people or should we dunk them? That's what the question is. In different traditions, do they really phrase it like that? Sprinkle or dunk them? No, yeah. that's no, no. That oh. wasn't a question. That was. Oh yeah, that's. I'm the asking review. you. Okay. Yeah, the because uh, because there are some traditions that sprinkle. Yeah. They take a little bit of water and sprinkle it. Um, and some that say no, no, no. The the proper yeah. mode of baptism is full immersion. And generally, as I understand it, um, there's some kind of symbolic reasons to prefer either one. People talk about the sprinkling as being kind of um similar to anointing and also kind of symbolic of the presence of the spirit on that person yeah. as the, you know, it's sort of like a Pentecostal image. 
I'm not Pentecostal in terms of the theological tradition, but Pentecost yeah, the, the day. day. Um, um, and then on the other side, immersion represents dying and rebirth in a yeah. much clearer way. Yeah, and I think there's similar, like the people who are drawing that, the similarity in symbolic significance with sprinkling. Yeah, that might be there, but that is not made explicitly clear to such a degree as the immer complete submersion. Right. We talked about it on the episode, but it's you're going down into death with Christ in the, in the grave type of thing and then being raised. So yeah. the idea is that you're dying with Christ and being raised with Christ. Right. And so this symbolic harmony that's made there, I, I think is much, much clearer. It's, it's explicitly clear. Um, it's also there narratively quite a bit, which is important. I mean, it's, it's not, it's never a hundred percent clear, but you have multiple examples of going down into the water together yeah. and, and baptizo in of. Greek is is it just means dip, it, right? It, to some, it means I mean people would people make different arguments, but it means to submerge. It's what you do it's if to, you're dying a piece of cloth. Yeah, you, you baptizo you, in you, the you put it under. So um, others might disagree, sort of, with that, but I think that's pretty clear. So submersion to me captures what kind of the etymology of the word is, and then more importantly, the symbol that's being expressed in um, the New Testament yeah. made explicitly clear. I agree. Now, what about in situations? So we talked about on the communion episode about how there are obviously, there's a proper way to do it. And then like in the pandemic, we did communion digitally, which yeah. always felt kind of wrong and like weird and not wrong is putting it too strongly, but it felt yeah. off. Um, but it's like, it's, this is not ideal, but this is what we can do in the situation. Yeah. Would you say that in situ similar situations, say you're in a drought, is it a legitimate baptism? If we don't have the water to fully submerge you, it would be irresponsible. In fact, yeah. we're going to have to sprinkle. In it's this a situation. good call. So that, that was very weird leading communion online for the first time. And I didn't like it. And I didn't, for those of you who remember, I did not say, this is the same thing as usual. Right. Um, this is no different. I actually said this is not the optimal way to take communion. You're supposed to take it to, in the gathered body of, of believers. However, there's what's preferred, and then there's what's, I would say, there's an allowance for. And we see writings of this in the early church for the examples that you used as far as like, you know, what happens if someone's on their deathbed and they make a confession and they can't get down to the local river and we don't have water. Would we sprinkle them or pour water on yeah. their head. And I would say, absolutely. Yes. That's just because God in his grace might allow for something doesn't necessarily mean that's the preferred method. And so communion, we take it online. We have been, um, we've been taking it outdoors for those people who have been coming to our outdoor services, but it's not the optimal way to do it. Um, but it is allowed. Um, and likewise, if someone was in the hospital and they couldn't make it to be baptized and they wanted to be baptized and they couldn't get out of bed, well, we're going to pour water on there. Yeah. Head. And there's stories in church history, right? Of like severe droughts where they're using like milk and yeah, there's some, there's some stuff. reference. Yeah. There's some really weird references to stuff. And again, I think that just shows you that one, the value of baptism was so high. So they never yeah. thought, they never thought that's a good point. Well, there's not enough water. I guess we just won't baptize this person. It was mm. like, no, squeeze out some, some sap from the the aloe vera plant and wipe it on their forehead type type yeah. of thing. Whatever you can do to to make that happen. That's a good point. It was not, it was not considered something that you could just skip. Yeah. Even if even if there's literally no water. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. a, that's a really powerful point. So in general, I I would say our our view, and this is the view of our tradition as well, is that etymologically narr narrative examples in the Bible. And then probably most importantly in my mind, the symbolic connection yeah. is 
all point towards fully immersed and then you come back up out of the water. Yeah. And you kind of like, this sounds a little bit strange, but it's like even when I when we baptize someone, I'm always careful that they go all the way under. Yeah. Not because I think God is up there and it's like, well, that well, one didn't count. Part of their, their head, the part of their nose was above the water. Yeah, that part of their nose is going the, into eternal suffering. Yeah, but the imagery <laughs> is powerful that every part of you is being washed yeah. and every part of you is dying. And we, that, if you missed the episode, watch it. We talked about how washing and actually dying mixed together in the imagery in, in, in the scriptures. So, um, yeah. And the other thing that leads into part of maybe a, the next part of this question is, Sometimes people sprinkle because they believe that you could baptize infants or small children. What and a you can. masterful segue. Yeah. Man. You know, a good second segue only, needs to be announced on the top of the roof. Second only the rooftops. to the, sec- the segue I made earlier. So obviously you're not going to take a newborn and like <laughs> fully submerge them. Dunk them. Um, so then for those, then the, the mode of baptism is dictated by almost the age of the person. Yeah, that's an interesting point that part of the development in... So the, the formal word here is pedo-baptism, infant mm-hmm. baptism. Um, and then the opposite of that is believer's baptism, which just means you are baptized when you as a fully like in your faculties person, so that could be an adult or a child, but someone who is capable of making a decision on their own, believe in Jesus, and they're baptized subsequent to that. That's believer's baptism. But infant baptism necessitated in some traditions changing the mode. Yeah, um, exactly. And historically, that's kind of how it developed that way, right? Yeah, and what's... So this is important. It's, it's a side note, but it's important. There are certain things that we can agree to disagree on in the church. Um, we all agree that baptism is really important, but there is an allowance for disagreement on the age of, of baptism. Yeah. Now I could seriously disagree with someone, but that doesn't make me question their faith or their relationship with God. Probably the best example of this when it comes to infant baptism and what you call believers baptism was uh, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul debated baptism. Mm. Now, if you're not familiar with those two names, those are both like really conservative reformed dudes who are like really good friends and aligned in so many areas. Um, they share so much theology. They're both reformed, um, and both considered really conservative kind of expositor preachers. And they, they debated the issue of baptism as friends and they debated it. I mean, they got, it was, it's online. You can just Google it and watch it. Um, it's up there in like with eschatological differences and things like that, where you can disagree about this and it might even determine the church you attend and stuff, but you're not going to break fellowship over this. Yeah, like a similarly, John Piper hosted a night of eschatology with Doug Wilson, Sam Storms, Sam Storms. Who was the guy? Who was the there premillennial was a guy. guy that I'm he was good to too, and I can't yeah. remember. His name. They were all great, but they they argued their views of the end times together, and they got in a pretty heated way. too. They did, but they but did. but at the end of it, they all shake hands. No one thinks anyone there isn't a Christian, and, and they that's went the home and talked smack to their wives yep. about, their how about how good they did <laughs> you know i uh, i took a class from tom schreiner um, yeah. who's a really brilliant scholar and he told me that piper invited him to come and defend pre-mill at that debate mm-hmm. and he said he told piper no because he goes sam storms is going to convince me of amillennialism halfway through it yeah sam storms did a really good job and it's on just that. i liked that because it's the it's the intellectual humility yeah. of a first-rate scholar going like schreiner's no joke yeah he's the so. real deal but but yeah and, and baptism is similar and this is important because not every, this won't be true of everyone, but a lot of folks who grow up evangelical think that it's like a Roman Catholic thing to baptize kids. 
And I know I thought that when I was young that I was like, oh, well, Catholic folks baptize babies yeah. and we don't do that. But what you need to know is that a big um, chunk of Protestants, a huge chunk of Protestants, you'll find Lutherans, it. Presbyterians, um, and a host of others. And so, uh, just really briefly, because I, I want to make sure we have time for our questions, um, the arguments for infant baptism typically go, you know, there are some narrative examples of this that seem to be happening. One of our questions tonight's about that, so we can save that. Okay. And that includes Peter's speech in Acts 2, that he, he says, be baptized, repent of your sins, and you'll be saved, you and all your families. Mm-hmm. As they go, what does that mean other than children? Um, and then also, and this is a fairly strong argument, although it's not biblical, is that there's evidence that there's evidence that this begins very, very early in church mm-hmm. history. Um, and so, oh, and then finally, that baptism is the counterpart, the new covenant counterpart to circumcision, yeah. which is something that you did with a baby, not just when an adult. But if an adult became Jewish, they would be then circumcised, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and then the arguments for credo baptism, which are, again is just the fancy way to say believer's baptism, is that, and, and these are, it's interesting because the arguments are, as often is the case, they're sort of different in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, they say that the other sacrament, communion, is only for believers. And so these sacraments seem to be for believers. They also say there's no explicit examples of infant baptism in Scripture, which is true. There's nothing where it yeah. clearly says a child is baptized. Um, and then in the Great Commission and some other places, baptism is linked with being made a disciple. Mm-hmm. So you go out, make disciples, and baptize them mm-hmm. in, um, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Um, and it's, I mean, part of this is, is so difficult because obviously we're viewing the issue through our own cultural lens, which is highly individualistic, independent, um, so that the idea that, a, well, no, my child is a Christian. Why? Because I'm... Because they're I'm my their, child. They're my child and they're by Nate. And so that's, that's, we're such so individualistic that sometimes that stuff can sound bizarre where back in the day you might say, no, I'm this, this this, my job was determined by my father. You know, I'm, I'm a carpenter because my dad was a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. I'm going to live in this town for my entire life because that's where my family's always lived. And this is our faith. And it's just the way, the way you were. Um, and just the modern world has, has changed that. But what's interesting is what you brought up. So in acts, there's an instance where with the Philippian jail. Yeah, this is actually the question that came in. Maybe I should just read it since it kind of applies. Because okay. that, you're in this question was actually from my wife, Christina Whitaker. That's why it's such an incredible question. She asked, um, in the story of the Philippian jailer, what you were just bringing up, it says that Paul baptizes he and all his family. I can pull that up, actually, so we can look yeah. at it. So, yeah, sorry, Kevin. We're going out of order here. We're throwing you off. Now, you pull up my while that comes here? up, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the he and his whole family, family is oikos in Greek? Yes. No? So so it's interesting. I can show you. Um, I looked at this earlier today because I hadn't looked at it in a while. So it says, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Oh, wait, I went too far. Up here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the question of the Philippian jailer. And they, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, their household is oikos. Then it says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took some of them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And uh, house is also oikos. 
But as you know, in Greek, sometimes the noun can be assumed in the pronoun. Yeah. And so that's the case here. When it says he and all his family, the word family actually doesn't occur again there. It just says he and all. In Greek, it literally just says he and all his. his. Yeah. But it's very clear if you know how Greek works. So is it family? Is it oikos? And those words might be being used the same way or maybe not. Because it could mean any if, if this guy has... In the Roman world, he might have had servants in the house that aren't his blood relatives. Yeah. They were included in the oikos. oikos. So it's possible that's, man, everyone there, the employees type of thing, got baptized when he was, or it could just mean family. And then if you're in a believer's, if you believe in believer's baptisms, you would say, okay, by family, that doesn't mean the children or the babies. It just means the family that was of age. Right. And to the person who believes in infant baptisms, they would say, no, what do you mean? It says his whole the whole family. It's not yeah. making distinctions. And there's a good argument to be made going, this is the Greco-Roman world in the first century. If that dad becomes a Christian, nobody would even think twice. Of course, his whole family just became a Christian. Yeah, he the did. The man running the house. The father would determine the, the, the faith. In the Greco-Roman world, the father determines the right. faith. And it's, but, and it's interesting too, if you're, again, if you're, because you can read these with your predisposition. And the answer to his question is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So that's the answer. Yeah. So the believer, the person who believes yes. in believer's baptism goes, the answer wasn't be baptized. It was yeah. believe that's right. and be saved. And then they baptized yeah. him subsequent to that. Yeah. Um, so you kind of end up reading it. Yeah. So the, the point, the big picture of this is that a lot of the, the text that both sides would go to, you have to understand both sides go to the same passage to prove their point oftentimes. And, um, this is just something we need to be gracious towards each other on and allow for rooms of disagreement. Cause even within, it's like anything, even within the smaller camp. So even within believers baptism, you have massive differences, opinions on, well, what constitutes someone being old enough right. to personally make an independent decision to believe in Jesus? Does that happen at three, five, 10, 15? Um, and what if I'm 30, but I've been kind of wishy-washy. Like I've been, I've been a Christian yeah. for a year, but I've backslid a couple times. And yeah, so there's a lot of gray area and we need to show each other grace. But I do, I do feel confident that um, even though I would disagree I, I, and be gracious, I'm confident when we do baptisms, the explicit imagery in the New Testament is this going down into death and coming up in alive. So there Great. you have it. Yes, super helpful. Hopefully, if you have any questions about that, throw them in there. Um, here's the first question on baptism. Alice Chase asks, she's a regular viewer. Thanks. I, I think, I think I actually saw that she's here right now too, live. She says, Say hello if you're here. This is a, a great question for Kevin too. It says, is it important or necessary to be rebaptized more than once as an adult? A nurse taking care of my father before he passed away told me that she had been baptized like eight times. So she's been told by someone, oh yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten uh -huh. baptized over and over again. So I have, to, I have kind of a question connected to her question, which is pastorally in your experience, what is it that causes people to do this? Mm -hmm. And then is it, should they do that or not? Okay, so I would break this up and this is an oversimplification, but nevertheless, I think it's helpful. Getting baptized eight times some or five times or three times or 10 times is sometimes rooted in bad theology Sometimes it's rooted in psychology. I don't want to say bad psychology because that's not what I mean. I'll, I'll turn back to that point. And then um, the third reason is just kind of you don't you don't know any you don't know any better. So we'll go through those briefly. What I mean by bad theology is you might grow up in a church tradition where you're always 
not only rededicating to Jesus, but you're, you're getting saved again. So you backslid, and in a certain theological framework, you backslid slide just a little bit, you've lost your salvation. Mm. So now you need to get resaved. And if you got resaved, then why not get rebaptized again? And um, there's significant problems. And one of the problems we started off the episode with, Ephesians chapter one, is that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit is the promise of the guaranteed inheritance that's coming to you on, on the last day. So, um, and even if you believe you can, lo- even even for those in the camp that are saying, no, 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 let me, let me show you all the verses, you can lose your salvation. It's no one in a, in a fair reading of the text would say, that's happening eight times back and forth. Right. Someone's like, in yeah. fact, and if anything, it's scarier. That's like, if it happens, it sure seems like it happens it, forever. Yeah, and it's it, there's some very stark warnings. But either and, and, way, and Paul's Paul's imagery about death and rebirth, and you've died to that. The old man is dead. Like the very imagery right. of baptism itself, it would advise against that. All the imagery is like it's a one time thing. So even if even if you hold to a believer can lose their salvation, it wouldn't take place to such a degree that's eight times over in someone's life. So someone's theology, though is telling them. And I've seen that where it's like every Sunday service, you're getting resaved because on Wednesday you sin this way and Thursday you sin this way. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, now you need to come to the altar again. And that there's some bad theology with that. So sometimes it's reading that sometimes what I mean by psychology is for lack of a better term. And th- that is a, that is a bad way to say it. you might give me a better word. What I mean that is that someone has such a low view of themselves. Yeah that God is always looking down upon them. They're never good enough. So they always are having to show the angry dad that they're trying again and again and again. Yeah. It has to do with self-worth, right? Yeah. Self-image. And so that's a bad place to be. What baptism in fact is doing is saying, once you go down into the waters, as you said, the old person is dead. The new has been brought up. You are a new creation in Christ. Sins have been forgiven, sealed with the promise. Um, Nothing in heaven or hell can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So those are the things. And this, everything's tying in with one, with each other back to worship songs. That's why you need those worship songs to tell that person who's inherited that of you, God, God doesn't, he's going to take, he's going to go away. He's going to take, no, God is not going to leave you or forsake you. That's not how this works. And so you need to work through that. And then the last reason would just be, there's some people who don't know any better. And unfortunately their pastors for whatever reason didn't say, how much, wait, you're you're good, man. This is the fourth time. This isn't going to do this again. This now, Kevin wants to get baptized again. Kevin knows he ought not, (laughs) but Kevin gets caught up in the emotion of the baptism. He goes, I'm going to jump in there. I yes. remember you saying that you didn't do it, but is that correct? I think I have said that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so South Valley community Church is, is a non-denominational church. Historically, this isn't true of everybody, but typically non-denominational church. It's not that they, they don't value baptism. It's a very, it's very valuable, but compared to some traditions, baptism is, is, way, way yeah. higher. It's on, on that kind of, like we talked about in a, a couple episodes ago, it's just a symbol is the yeah. language we use to try to distance ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen pastors and leaders go, Hey, if you're not baptized, no big deal. It's just a symbol. And I'm going like, no, that's not, that's, that's not how this works. Um, I don't believe baptism is what saves you, but you, I, I would never tell a believer, eh, no big deal. Um, but with that said, even though our tradition is non-denominational, when we do baptisms, you can tell yeah, it's heavy. It it's heavy. Like there's tears. 
Um, it's joyful. It's but joyful, heavy. but it's it's very heavy. So I, I appreciate that about what's been developed. Yeah, and Kevin, I'm joking obviously about Kevin because he he understands the theology of why you wouldn't get in the in there again. But what he's what he's expressing that's powerful and real is when you watch it happening and you yep. value it as you should, you go like, oh man, this is such a beautiful. Well, yeah, because a covenant ceremony should have resonance with your covenant ceremony years ago. Same. So yeah. when you go when you're with your wife and you're at a wedding. There's that part usually where you kind of move your hand over to your wife's hand because yeah. there's there's something there that's triggered. Those wedding vows, again, are resonating with your wedding vows. Yeah. And there's something special about that. Likewise, when we see someone get baptized, it should draw us back to our baptism and remind us of that kind of covenant. Now, here's a related, this isn't Alice's question, but it's a related one that I've been asked many times by people in the church, which is... Um, this is sort of about people who are getting baptized over and over again as a sin forgiveness thing. What about people who were baptized in a different faith tradition, say as babies? So let's say yeah. you grew up Roman Catholic. You were baptized in the Roman Catholic church as a child. Now you, as an adult, are a Protestant Christian, and it's sort of this is your new identity. Uh, should that person get baptized? Yeah, that's a tough one. So what's, what's interesting here is... Typically, um, like your hardcore Protestant people who are like, they, they're saying, man, I'm purebred Protestant, man. I, I read the Bible, and then my next favorite book is Calvin's Institutes <laughs> um, and the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, type, type of thing. And they're just all, all in, in, in that tribe and in that camp. They would say, no, that baptism doesn't count. You, you need to get baptized again. However, a big chunk of the first reformers and uh, the Protestant reformers, Calvin included, would say that the the act of baptism in and of itself done in an improper manner doesn't negate the baptism because right. because that's still the, the sacrament is so powerful, even administered maybe in a imperfect manner doesn't override that. So many of them surprisingly, from the first reformers still would count those baptisms. Yeah, and, as and you can imagine those were real debates in the, during the reformation. Cause you have people who are at a, by a, at a certain point, they are now leaving the Roman Catholic tradition and becoming Protestants. And that's a big question. Do I need to get baptized? Yeah. So we, we have most of the time, what we've experienced, if not the majority of the time, but there's some that's not is someone says I was baptized as an infant and it never was real for me. I don't even feel I became a Christian till two years ago. I'm 28 years old. I want to be baptized. And then we, 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 tip yeah. it, we baptize them. Yeah. I mean, that's my wife did that. She was baptized Greek Orthodox as a baby. Um, and then, you know, after owning her Christian faith as an adult for a mm -hmm. number of years, um, and it was funny because it happened after I was a pastor and everything. And she was like, people are going to be like, the pastor's wife's just getting baptized today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But for her, it was really because she didn't feel this giant pressing need because it had happened. But yeah. there was kind of an unsettled feeling in her that this is something I'm supposed to do, you know, in the in the words of Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. So, so yeah, and that's, I do think there's a somewhat of a case by case basis to that. Yeah. There's not a strong answer in scripture. It's one of those areas that we could agree to disagree on, but for the most part, we, we rebaptize people. All right. Next one. So this is a question that's taken sort of a different direction. This is from Anna Marie Llewellyn, another one of our regular watchers. She says, was Jesus the last prophet? Does God still use messengers to guide his followers or are we in the playing it out phase of human history? 
There are a lot of people who claim to be prophets and messengers of God, but I'm not sure about that. So um, the question here, and this is the reason it's a church-related question is because it's saying, yeah. does that kind of formal position within a church, you would use the word office, the office uh-huh. of prophet, is that still in effect today? It's a very controversial question. It is. What that's all the time say, we have. Kevin? That's all the time we have today. We're going <laughs> to just kidding. <laughs> uh, and it's very difficult because this is actually something we could devote like three episodes to. Yeah, to and, break down and maybe we should at some point. It's we possible, give a quick yeah. answer. Yeah. So because prophecy, prophecy is actually worthy of at least its own episode, yeah. if not its own series. Because so first off, there's massive disagreement on what do you, you have to say. Well, what do you mean by prophecy? Right. Because some would say prophecy is the speaking of truth. Um, or some would even say it's the administration of the word. Mm. Like that's a prophetic gift. When you go up as a pastor goes up and expounds God's word before people, he is asking that God would use him to convict and challenge his people, inspire them. Some people say that. Some people would say it's speaking truth. Some people would argue that it's God giving you the specific words to say. And then some would say, yes, it's that, but it's specific words to say about something that has not happened, something that's right. in the future, or maybe something that I could not have known about. Yeah, an about insight you. about you and your life that God once shared right now. Yeah. Um, and so there's that vo- wide variety of it. Um, and then there's different views about each one of those things. Each one of those things. And then you have to decide, okay, does that still happen today? And then does that still happen today as in you have the ongoing supernatural gift of that? And then the third layer of that would be, do people who have that gift serve in an office of like prophets? So there are some who would argue that, yeah, local church, take me to your prophet. And that may or may not be the pastor. They might have like a prophet. Yeah. And some Christian office. cults very famously like are bit like yeah. that's the, the head person in the Latter-day Saints is the prophet. Yeah. So what I, what I would say, and this isn't to get out, to get out of the question, but to be nuance the way I'd want it would take some time. I would say that God absolutely still does miraculous things. And that includes giving people supernatural insight into things that may include something in the present or something about the future. I am highly skeptical when someone claims to hold to an office of a prophetic role. And when someone does do that, they will be called to the standards of someone claiming right. that office. And what my study and experience has showed time and time again is that when people claim that I have that, no, I could just do that. Um, their track record is yeah. really, and, and really we have, poor. We have both experienced this. I mean, early in my ministry, there was, there were, there was a person making very specific prophetic statements regularly and to his credit, he submitted to us just being like, hey, here's the deal. We're going to hold you to the standard of a prophet. And the minute one of these is false, we're done listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And even, okay, what makes it even more complicated, even with that, there's some people would say, I don't agree with this, but they would say the standards for New Testament right. prophecy is different than old. So in the Old Testament, you claim to be a prophet, you make a false prophet, they kill you. Yeah. And they would say, well, then in the New Covenant, what is what's the prophetic role in the New Testament is different than it was in the Old Testament. So there's different standards. So there's brilliant people like a guy named Andrew Wilson from the yeah. UK who believes in that stuff. And he has a, a great argument for how that works. I'm not on board and, with it. And he uses um, words like he's even careful to kind of, he, he almost weakens some of his terminology 
commensurate with his different view of the role. Yeah. So he calls them prophetic impressions yeah. rather than revelations and things like that. And he's a, a brilliant dude. Um, so yeah, God can, God's still healing people. God's still doing supernatural things, but I'm highly skeptical of people when they say they say they could do that on the whim. People do that with healings too. Yeah. So can God heal someone? Yeah, but of course. But um, when someone is claiming I can heal someone at will, like that's just boom, boom. I'm like, well, dude, let's go to the hospital right, right now. Yeah. And let's and let's do this. Yeah, and and maybe a, a helpful thing here is that the controlling source of authority for faithful Orthodox Christians. Yeah for 2000 years is the written word of God. And so wherever you fall on that spectrum that Isaac just laid out, and, and I think you did a great job of doing what we have time to do with mm -hmm. this question. Maybe we will have at least an episode about this in the future. Um, but wherever you fall on that spectrum of beliefs, the Bible should be the unchanging authoritative standard by which any revelation yeah. or impression is judged. So if someone comes in and says, God's telling me something and it does not comport with scripture, you listen to scripture, not the yeah. person claiming to be a prophet. Yeah, the Bible's the standard for prophecies, for sermons, and for worship songs. Right. So yeah. make sure to listen. A side question that kind of dovetails with this, Joey said, are there apostles today? In a very similar, that, that's a parallel question because is the office of apostle still active today? So right. some would say yes, and you can go to a church and say, this is the apostle. Then you ask in which way do you mean this is an apostle? Some would say, well, Greek apostolos, it means sort of like sent one. So this is a person who's kind of like apost by God to apostolic do to do church planting type of stuff. And I don't have any problem with that. But there are some who kind of hold to know this is, there's apostolic authority similar to that which the apostles held. And I would have a problem with that. Yeah. I think the apostles were kind of in a class of their own. When I talk about apostles with the capital A, they were this, you know, first century eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And it becomes very important for subsequent theological beliefs because it's why we believe what we believe about the canon, yeah. why we why certain Bible books are in and some are out. Um, a lot of that has to do with apostolic witness. Yeah, and so are there apostles in this, in a lowercase a apostles, people who are sent out to do that, that parallel work of apostolic ministry that you see in the book of Acts? Yes. Are there apostles in the same sense that they have similar authority of the first apostles? No. Yeah. Great. So great. It's very similar to the prophet thing. Yeah. And, and so that's, the, and it's an important lesson just in kind of parsing these sorts of questions and discussions in general, because people can use a word and mean a bunch of different things. And so yes. if somebody says, well, do you believe in prophecy? Your first question back should be, what do you mean by prophecy? Because I, I absolutely believe that God can still reveal truth. I mean, I believe God is revealing truth to people constantly through his word. And when this word is preached rightly and explained well, there is a sense in which the truth that God has revealed is being spoken in that moment. So there's a prophetic role even just in that and faithful teaching of the Bible. Yeah. But if someone means I am regularly receiving special downloads of revelation from God that are just to me, um, I, do, I think that, I'm very comfortable with the idea of that happening. I don't think it's the standard mode by which God reveals truth to yeah, people. Yeah, and again, the fruit of it is there. Yeah. I, I, that majority of the time, people, when they, they they make those claims, it's not, there's a lot of bad fruit with it. Um, so I'm hearing music. Yeah, I think an ice cream truck is there's going by. There's an ice by. cream truck going by right is now. Is that one of your little buttons, Kevin, or is that a real That's ice cream real truck? That's a real ice cream truck. I wish I had ice cream right now. You so, know, wait, let me just say a real quick ice cream truck thing. 
this is messed up. This and is it's going to be a dad joke. No, it's it's a dad truth, <laughs> which is that my daughter thinks those are called music trucks. Because you never buy Because we have yet cream. to reveal that they have ice cream on board. That's, <laughs> that's why. That's mean. <laughs> Someday that's mean. she'll know. So she goes, oh, the music truck. One of the things important to note is what Sam said about how these words are used differently depending upon where you're. That is true of pretty much any. The word pastor, the word elder, the word bishop, the word apostle, the word prophet. You might run into someone that says, I'm XYZ, and you go, whoa, wait a second. That's whack. Then you hear what they mean by it, and you go, Oh, okay. You yeah. just mean this word when I mean this word. And then there's sometimes when someone says I'm X, Y, Z and you hear what they mean, you're like, this Dang, is whack. Yeah. This is whack. Yeah. And sometimes it's tribal language that you're not familiar with. So someone uses a word like apostle and it's not weird to them because of the yeah. tradition that their church is in. Um, okay. Let's try to get two more. One of them's quick and one of them's not. Let's do the quick one first. Yeah. Let's see. So um, Dina Bless had a question that was sort of, it, uh, it wasn't, it's not directly related to the church, but she said, Hey, if you've got, if you've got time, let's do this on Theology Thursday. She's asking about um, a translation issue that in both Acts 4.11 and Psalm 118.22. That you said this was the easy one. This is easy. Okay. You don't think it's easy? You got it. I don't know. You're just talking about <laughs> trans- translations. So. Yeah, it's not as hard as it sounds. Well, then you got um, it. Take it away. So it's Acts 4.11 is quoting Psalm 118. So they're both the same thing. But in both of them, it, she said, some translations say capstone. Mm-hmm. Christ is the capstone. And some translations say cornerstone. And she goes on to explain the difference between a capstone and a cornerstone, which very briefly, a capstone is any stone that's on the top of a wall. And a cornerstone is much more architecturally significant. It's the kind of, it's at the bottom and in the corner, and it's the one that the pattern is built on. So she goes, they're not the same thing. So which one is meant? And how Mm -hmm. come some translations say one and some say the other? So I'll pull it up in the Bible just to show what she's talking about. I'll tell you what, all the worship songs from the 90s all used cornerstone. Cornerstone. For sure. So, and there's a lot of churches called that too. What if it's supposed to be yeah, capstone? That'd be awesome. We, if I don't think that that's the answer, but it would be awesome if we could just say the answer. All, your whole church name is wrong. <laughs> definitively, it should be capstone, and this is on you. And by the way, it's not. Those aren't the only two options. There's also some of them say head of the corner, some say chief stone, some say chief cornerstone. Yeah. And so the short answer, which is the one we're going to give, is that um, the Greek and the Hebrew terms are not as technical as either of those terms are in English. Meaning capstone and cornerstone, like Dina pointed out, in English, those are different things with different jobs. Um, The Greek and Hebrew terms are both talking about a prominent, significant, primary stone in a construction, and it's not clear which one it is. Mm -hmm. So Acts 4.11, Kevin, if you can pull my screen up, says, this Jesus, this is part of one of Peter's sermons, this Jesus is the stone that's the Greek word for stone, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the, and this word cornerstone is actually just the Greek word for head, kephalos. It's very similar in Psalm 118. Um, It's the Hebrew word for stone and then the Hebrew word for head. And so the way that the word head in Greek works is not just the head that's on the top of your body or, you know, just like as if it was just an anatomical term. It's very similar actually to the English word head, which is interesting that you can say somebody is the head of an organization mm-hmm. and you don't mean anything anatomical. You mean they're the primary pers- mm-hmm. person, but the Greek word is even broader and more flexible than that, that it can mean the source of something, the primary one amongst others of something, mm-hmm. the leader of something. And so the kind of plain reading of that would be the stone that was rejected has become the main stone Got in the building. I mean, I, I believe that's true in both Greek and Hebrew. 
So hopefully that helps Dina. Um, but you did it in three minutes. I checked. That's I'm, in, I'm impressed. Now, if only it were true. All right. No. Yeah. So that. So and that's that's just one of those things where if you see a bunch of different translations for a word, um, chances are it means that it's not clear because otherwise all of these solid translators would agree on it. So this is one of those cases. The there's just not a word that says cornerstone or capstone. All right. Last question. You ready? Is Kevin ready? Kevin, you ready? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's ready. Okay, Kevin. In John chapter 1, mm. some translations say <laughs> that the darkness did not understand the light. Some say that it could not comprehend the light. Some say that it could not seize the light. Can you tell me the proper translation of Catalambano in John chapter 1? You took Greek. I don't even know if Catalambano is the right word that I'm shooting for. Is it? It is. I looked it up. Did you? Uh, good. Because I was just making that stuff up. This is a classic um, when they introduce you to the flexibility of words. And the reason why I thought of it, because it's the same point of you were yeah. saying. Um, to grasp something in John's case could mean like intellectual grasping, yeah. which would mean intellectual it's, understanding. It's a word that means grasp. Or it could mean like there's a bad guy in your house and you physically grasp him. So the question in John chapter one is, does the darkness not understand, comprehend the light, or is it not powerful enough to, to overcome, overcome it? it? So it's like this classic one that everyone tries to get you with. Hey, you get tons of pastor points for remembering that the word is catalambano, because I was not going to. I'm glad you sing the horde. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> what are the chances of that Kevin one being with the in home there? Run. All right, okay. Last question. We only got 10 minutes, so we, we probably won't even be able to fully do this justice, but it's a good question from Jacob Serpa, who always has difficult and insightful questions because yeah, he's, he's a smart he's guy. He's pesky. Some call it annoying. He's pesky. Some call it annoying. <laughs> I know he's watching too, so some call it who's that's who, borderline almost an early 2000 emo band name but instead of like some, some call, call it annoying, annoying it would be called like some call it graceful some yeah some call it truth some call this death some call this death that that was like your that's your class 2003 emo 2003 there's two singers in that band guaranteed yeah one screams one and screams and sing, one sings one sings yeah <laughs> that was me all right so in first peter 321 this is about baptism what does Peter mean by baptism dot, dot, dot now saves you? So let's jump over and actually read that um, just because he, he's, he compressed that to kind of make it a little bit quicker. But let's read the context. So this is part of, by the way, a notoriously strange, difficult part of uh, Peter's first epistle because he's talking about spirits in prison in the days of Noah, yep. um, which we do not have time to get into, although it's super, super interesting. Um, Jacob Serpa says, I love you guys too. I do. That he's, he's being, uh, he's implying something. He's implying that he's loved by us. Hey, John Smith um, says, this is all about, I, I don't know if you're asking what this is all about or just throwing, throwing some Even thoughts. Even the smallest in, light shines in the darkness. That's true. Amen to Suzanne that. says, love Jacob. Well, I guess she loves you too. Man. So that must be, that must be who he's talking to. Okay. So um, here's what's important for Jacob's question is there's a parallel being drawn here between the ark, Noah's ark, mm -hmm. between Noah's ark and baptism, which is really powerful and actually goes hand in hand with what we talked about in the baptism episode. Yeah. And so 
he says, and the reason I said all that other stuff is because he's in the middle of a long sentence that's about those things that we don't have time to get into, but he ends it by saying this, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. It's like a very Peter sentence right there. And it's good. And it's pretty legit. So Jacob's question is, what does he mean by baptism saves you? And the whole sentence is baptism, which corresponds to Noah's ark, which, so follow the thought, baptism, which corresponds to Noah's ark, which safely delivered eight people through water, saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So any thoughts right on the surface of that question? Because this is a question about baptismal regeneration, but how does baptism relate to salvation is the question. Yeah. And this, I mean, I just want to joke and say, what is that? What do you, so it means what it means. It's very simple. It means baptism saves you. (laughs) Um, But then you get into, you know, what we believe theologically and you go, well, no, grace is what saves you and grace is, is through faith. And that's prior to right. the physical act of baptism. So in my, and it's tough. This is a difficult question that could, again, be and, its own and episode. And by the way, different theological traditions place regeneration, the act of God making you a new person, yeah, all over the map in terms of how it relates to when you place your faith in Jesus, when God calls you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so these exactly. get really, really complicated. But what I would say is that baptism in the early church was so associated with faith in Christ that they're seen as like hand in hand. So I don't believe baptism is what saves you. I think grace saves you. God's free gift of grace is what saves you. However, um, Peter preaches Acts chapter two, it's repent and go get baptized. So they're like, Boom, boom, boom. And so that there's, it's, it's seen as this whole package of when yeah. someone comes to faith in Jesus, they receive grace by faith, they go get baptized and join the church family type of thing. And so in some sense, that's kind of a part of the package. So there's a very close associate, at the very least, a very close association between baptism and salvation. Yeah. Now it's interesting is, as I think everyone has to admit that if you're being honest with the text, the question is how far do you separate initial faith in Christ and the receiving of grace and then baptism. So the lower view you have of baptism, the further you can separate it. And that's why there's some churches and I've heard this. It's like, there's people, they've been Christians for 10 years. They're not baptized. And the pastor's like, Hey, no big deal. It's just a symbol. And I would say, no, it's a big deal because when you got saved, the next thing you were supposed to do is kind of be baptized. Now people can disagree on that, but I I think it's pretty clear from the new Testament that that's a, Part of the package of what it means to become a follower of Jesus means grace received through faith, baptism, and participation in the body of Christ. So I would I would make the same case for um, someone who says like I don't have a have a church. Well, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. Oh, are you saying I have to go to church or I'm not a Christian? Yeah, and I would say. Yeah, that's a big problem. Because yeah. if you are a Christian, you're a part of Capital C Church, whether you like it or not. Right. And being a part of Capital C Church, you should also seek a local body of a church to participate in the in the life of following Christ. And so um, I just I think those things are sort of like inseparable. 
Yeah. Um, so no, I don't believe baptism is what saves you, but they are so intricately linked in the package of what it means to become a Christian that the first followers of Jesus can say, what should I do now? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Go get, get baptized. baptized and then come have communion with us this Sunday. Yeah, and it's helpful even that Peter says it's not about removal of dirt. I mean, he says that, that it's, it's not about the outward washing. That's yeah. not the point, but it is so closely, like you said, tied. It almost makes me think analogously that if you were to ask an Israelite, is being circumcised what makes you an Israelite? Yeah, that's like, right. It's like an incoherent question. What do you, I'm an Israelite, I'm so I'm circumcised. Because I'm an Israelite, that's right. right. But I was, I'm an Israelite because God chose my that's, forefathers. That's exactly so, right. But it, it's like, what do you mean? Should, do I need to be? That's a perfect Do I need to be circumcised example. to be an Israelite? That question makes no sense. I'm an Israelite, so I am. Exactly. Um, but is that the thing that makes you one? No, it's because God made a promise to Abraham. Um, and so it, I think it's really similar. It's almost yeah, like- Yeah, they would say- uh, we were the least of all of all the people groups, but God chose us. We were the first. He, we were His firstborn son. So the whole point is that God chose Israel not because of anything that they did. God chose Israel for His for His own namesake. They yeah. become the firstborn son, and then He gives them these laws, statutes, and commands. And one of those being circumcision, and that's that's just what it is. That's a perfect example. So it's not a question. And I think baptism should be similar. And so I do want to say, if you're watching this and you're a Christian and you're you, for whatever reason, have been cagey about baptism, because we know several, many people who are like that. I just want to say, don't overthink this. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, getting baptized is just something you do. It's really not a question. It's not, am I ready for it? Am I, you know, am I obedient enough? It's just, this is what you do when you're a Christian. So do it. Um, yeah. That that's good? pretty good. I think we did good. it. Kevin, you think we did it? It has to end here. <laughs> this Dude. is... Arnold Schwarzenegger as the the Terminator, so so good, so good. Well, only for a little bit, because then they started. They started kind of squeezing. It's uh, like the lime that was no it, all the movies are juice. going downhill. Maybe we can end on this note too. <laughs> it's completely unrelated. All the movies are going downhill. They're all horrible. The symbolism bad. The narratives arc. They're betraying all the the archetypes. Blah blah blah. But subs- we mentioned bands. Sam and I, uh, we were in bands in our 20s and all the bands that we looked up to that were bigger than our bands they're now our age but they're all getting the band back together and putting out and albums and none of them should not one has <laughs> been good like i've been pumped oh dude i'm a no names no <sighs> expose the flaws getting back together well, that one's gonna be good man <laughs> but yeah it's like oh dude this band they're coming back it's gonna be so good and then you're just you're waiting for the magic. You're it's like, gone. you know what? It sure sounds like 35 year old yeah. dudes trying to make music from yeah. 2006. <laughs> when I was 25, like I had, you know, I was, you're angry at the man. And now it's like, yeah. you can't be screaming into a microphone about, you know, my I mortgage. just want to go on vacation. Yeah. I love my kids so much. They make me so happy. Cause it's true, but it makes you happy. It doesn't yeah. make you scream. And the stuff that makes you scream is so lame now. It's like, you could write a song about how your back hurts. One of my favorite rappers has a whole song about how his back hurts. Cause he's been in the game so long. That's like, that might that's be time true. to hang that's it up. That's true. That's that dad. That's that dad life. So bands, stop doing it. It's it's time to, to put it down. This is stop remaking movies that don't need to be remade. Any other messages you want to give out just to the world in general? Get some garlic fish during the summer. Garlic fish. Hey, and and just a reminder, we're going on break. So uh, if you look Speaking for us, of garlic fish. Oh yeah, here's here's a garlic fish right here. What's up? This is clearly, this episode has jumped the shark. 
so hard at this point. I'm a little concerned. Our, remember, our whole back catalog of episodes is here on South Valley Community Church's YouTube channel. So over the next few weeks while we're off, it's a great time to catch up on episodes you haven't seen. And with that, Sam got sent the aluminum award. I did because his first Theology Thursday video hit a thousand hit views. Hit a thousand views. He got an aluminum plaque from yes. YouTube. Famous. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you guys in a few weeks. Have a great summer.